Everybody doing okay this morning? Yeah. All right. All right. We, uh, we've uh, had quite a morning. Uh, we'll share some stuff going on uh, here in a little while. I want to uh, share just a couple things. Uh, make mention of, I posted this on Facebook this morning. Um, if uh, you ever so feel, uh, if you ever have trouble, I know especially if you come to second service, sometimes you might have trouble find a parking spot because of people still hanging around or whatever from first. Um, uh, if you ever have trouble with that, uh, don't be afraid to park next door at City Hall. Uh, we have uh, parking over there that uh, we are allowed to use. Uh, the only thing you got to do is just watch out for the farm implements uh, because Pleasant View. Uh, so, uh, but no, seriously, uh, you know, we, you know, don't, don't be afraid to do that. And, uh, you know, if you ever, if it ever looks like, you know, things are, you know, kind of crazy full and you want to park over there just to open up a spot over here uh, for older folks or for uh, prego people or, you know, whatever it is, you know, just uh, just always keep that in mind. We actually had uh, someone on the feed, uh, and that's something I've asked people to think about doing in the past, people that, you know, are regulars or whatever, if you're hardcore 24 type folk uh, and you want to kind of make the sacrifice and your legs aren't broke and you want to do a little walking, uh, you know, it's, it's a great thing to do. But we actually had somebody on our Facebook feed last week uh, where they came, and I think this was probably during the first service, uh, they came and, and there was nowhere to park. They couldn't find any parking spots. I have a feeling the team was probably already inside, the parking team. And uh, uh, they ended up just going somewhere else and watching the service on their phone. Uh, and so they never, they just couldn't find a place to, to park. So uh, a lot of people I know probably have not thought that they could park over there or whatever. We have an agreement with them. They use our parking lot. We use theirs. It's all good. So uh, just throwing that out there is something to, uh, to think about and munch on uh, as we have growing pains. And that's a, that's a, great, that's a great problem to have. So, uh, but anyway, thank you for being here today. Uh, we are uh, back in the book of Mark. And uh, we're finishing up chapter 10 today with a passage that is one of those passages that just quite honestly, if you were just looking at it, you would say, oh, it's another passage where Jesus heals somebody. You know, not necessarily big whoop de doo but, you know, we, we kind of think sometimes we see a passage, we're like, oh, yeah, it's another one of those passages. There's like so many of those passages, like, What's the, you know, there's not really any difference between them or whatever. We kind of start thinking that way, even, without, even though we don't mean to or whatever. Uh, and, and I'm going to challenge you today because this passage has several things about it where it, it is standing alone as kind of a, a, a one and only uh, in many ways. And so we're going to study that this morning. In fact, if you've got a Bible, go ahead and get it out. We're going to Mark chapter 10. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, our ushers have Bibles, and they will be glad to bring you one. Uh, and if you don't own one, we'd love for you to take that and keep it. You can have it. It's a gift, uh, and we want you to have a copy of God's Word. Uh, but in this passage of Mark chapter 10, a couple of weeks ago, uh, if you'll remember, I talked about James and John. You remember James and John? You remember the two disciples? They came to Jesus, and they were like, hey, you know, Jesus, we got a question. Jesus like, what's up, boys? What you need? You know, and, and, and they're like, well, we would love to sit at the right hand and left hand of you in your glory. And, and what they mean by that is they mean they want to, like, help rule over like the country. They want to rule over, you know, the government and all that because in their minds, like Jesus, the Messiah was coming to rule over the people there, here and now and that kind of thing. And, and that, that, was the, that was the idea, not necessarily like in glory, like, you know, God's kingdom to come and all that kind of stuff. And so they're a little, you know, a little twisted in what they're thinking or whatever. But either way, 
their hearts are not necessarily in the best place. They really just, they want, a, they want a little piece of the action. And they, you know, they got to thinking, you know, well, we're tight with Jesus. And, you know, if anybody gets to ask Jesus something like that, it might as well be us, right? Because, I mean, you know, hey, here we are and we're tight and we can, you know, we could ask Jesus of this and no big deal. And so they do. Well, that leads Jesus into, you know, a fine quality teaching moment of talking about serving one another and that, you know, this is not about, you know, what we can get out of life, but what we can, who we can serve, how we can serve, uh, and doing so for the sake of God. And so uh, we have this, this great, great verse that's a part of that passage. Verse 45, and it's the last verse that we read on that day, and, and I want to I come back to it, and I want to read it again, because if there is a verse that sums up the book of Mark, it's verse 45. Verse 45 is the culmination of, of the things that we see Mark trying to help us to see about Christ's ministry. And, it, and it's in two parts. Let's just read it. Verse 45, it says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. So we see the first part of that says, For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. Up to this point in the book of Mark, Jesus has been driving home this like idea that we are about serving, that our lives should be about serving others, giving of ourselves to other people, you know, putting, putting, putting it all out there on the line, you know. And so Jesus even says, you know, for even the Son of Man, even the Son of Man, he's saying, even me came not to be served, but to serve. This is in response, again, to James and John wanting to you know, have some authority and get to be like co-leaders, co-rulers over everybody. And Jesus is like, time out, boys. Let's talk about this for just a second. You guys aren't really catching the drift of what we're doing here. You know, and Jesus says, even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. It's a rebuke. And Jesus is telling him, he's like, look, and you go back and read the passage. We already preached it. So, you know, but, you know, he, he, he tells him, he's like, look, you guys, you guys, you guys basically want to like lord over everybody. You want to like sit back and let everybody do everything for you. That's not what life is about. That's not what the kingdom is about. That's not what my kingdom's about. Even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And then he goes into the second part of this verse, which also goes into the second part of the book of Mark. Okay, so you got the first part, which is Jesus talking about serving, 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 serving. And then the second part, he says, he says, son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So he's still talking about serving, but he's also talking about sacrifice. He's talking about serving, but he's also talking about sacrifice. This is this is a big deal. This is a big deal. This, this verse, this verse in, in many ways brings the book of Mark down to this one idea, two ideas really, come together of what Jesus had come to do, which was to serve, set the example in doing so, and to give his life as a ransom for many. It's the ultimate act of service. This passage we're reading today is about a blind guy. And again, I think it'd be easy to go, okay, it's another guy that Jesus healed. I don't want you to do that because there's a lot of things in this passage. There's a lot of things in this passage that are absolutely amazing that stands out from the others. 
I think on purpose it stands out from the others. In fact, if you are just tuning in with us, let's say that you haven't been with us or, you know, before now or you haven't been with us in a while or whatever, you know, uh, glad to have you, you know, we're glad you're here, all that stuff. Uh, but, but this passage, you know, you, know, you got you to gotta keep in context something that we've been thinking about and we've been talking about since we started uh, reading through the book of Mark last year, and that's this. Mark is very specific. Mark is very specific, and he's also very to the point. Uh, if you look at the, if you look at all four uh, gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Mark is the shortest. Mark tells his stories with less words. He gets to the point, but with his words, he is very much like, you know, there, when when he says something, there's usually meaning behind it. There's usually meaning behind it. Well, in this particular passage, what we see is we see Mark talking about this person who Jesus heals. And, and again, like we've seen Jesus heal many other people, but there are some differences in this passage. One of the differences is this is the last time Jesus will heal somebody in the book of Mark before he goes to his death. You see, there's a turn here in the book of Mark, if you will. There's a turn here. In, in, in Mark, the end of Mark 10 is really kind of like this turn of like where we've seen Jesus pushing this idea of serving others all up to that point, and now, now we're starting to move toward the sacrifice that is to come. Jesus is actually traveling to Jerusalem at this point. He's no, he's no longer going to another, he's no longer going to like another city to tell everybody about the good news of what's going to happen and what God has sent him to do. He's not doing that. He's done with that. He's on his way back to Jerusalem. Why is he on his way back to Jerusalem? He's on his way back to Jerusalem to suffer and to die. Jesus is, in a way, on the march to his death. On the march to his death. And here he is going through a city called Jericho. And as he's passing out of the city, he runs into this guy. Let, tell you what, let's just read it. Can we do that? Verse 46, Mark 10, verse 46. Not a very long passage. And it says this, it says, And they came to Jericho, and as, as, and as he was leaving Jericho, so they didn't spend a lot of time in Jericho, or Mark doesn't care to tell us exactly what they were doing in Jericho if they did. Because it was like, as they were coming to Jericho, and as they were leaving Jericho, you know, boom, boom. And as they were leaving Jericho with his disciples, and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. So let's stop there and just kind of talk for, this sec- for just a second. So Bartimaeus, I, I want to I bring something up that I think is really cool about the passage. And I think it shows us, and we're getting to see just a little bit uh, into Mark's heart here, okay? So what's that say? It says, Bartimaeus, a blind ba- beggar, the son of Timaeus. So Bartimaeus and the son of Timaeus, both being said together, is a redundant thing, okay? This is a redundant thing. This is why. So anytime you would have used uh, the bar and then a name, you were saying that that was the son of so-and-so. So like, if you remember, Jesus would sometimes call, uh, you know, Peter, he would say, uh, you know, um, uh, Peter bar Jonah, you know, and, and what, and what, and the reason Jesus was doing that was he was saying, 
Peter is the son of Jonah. If you look at the word bar mitzvah, bar mitzvah, same kind of thing, son of the covenant. Here, bar Timaeus, son of Timaeus, you know? So, so he says, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus. Now, let me, let me just be clear here. The Jewish people did not need him to say that. He didn't, they did, they, they all understood that. They, they knew as soon as they, they soon, they knew as soon as they heard the, the name start with Bar, that, oh, okay, well, this guy's the son of Timaeus. You know, did he go by Bartimaeus? Yes, he did. And, and a lot of times that's the way it worked. Uh, and so, uh, in this particular passage, though, Mark is doing this on purpose, and the purpose is, and I love this, I love this, he's doing this that the Gentiles might understand. Bar- Mark, as he's talking through this story, wants the people who have not normally been associated with people who follow God. He's not just writing this for Jewish people. He's writing this that everyone may understand. That people that didn't know the historical significance of Bar and all this kind of stuff, and that means, oh, he's the son of and everything. He's, he's, he's trying to clearly spell something out here so that everybody can follow along. I, you know, we don't, here's one of the things that's true, I think, about Mark. We don't often see a lot of, like, Mark's heart coming through in the passages. And the reason I think it's worth like taking the time out to like point this out is because I believe we're seeing just a little bit of Mark's passion to see everyone come to know Jesus. I think, I think that that's awesome. I, just, I, I think that's fantastic. It goes on, it says, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. More than likely, this was like his spot. You know, and in, in, in typically speaking in a lot of these types of situations, and even today, if, if, you, if you were to talk with somebody uh, who begs, uh, who is, you know, would be considered like a beggar or something like that, uh, you know, a lot of them have like their spot. They go to the same place there every day, whatever kind of thing. And in his situation, of course, he's blind, and he's sitting by the roadside. And in verse 47, it says, And when he had heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Bartimaeus hears somehow from the crowd that's coming through that Jesus is in the midst of this crowd and that Jesus is about to pass by. This triggers Bartimaeus in some way. We don't know exactly how all this happened, but obviously somebody vocalized or told him, you know, hey, that guy Jesus they've been talking about is coming through or, you know, whatever. We don't know exactly how that transpired. Mark, Mark apparently doesn't think it's important for us to know that, and that's okay. But somehow he's told what's going on. Now, I want to kind of talk for just a second. You know, this is a big, this is a big group of people. If you go back and you look at the very beginning, it says, and they were leaving Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd. Now, again, we're talking about Mark pinning this here. We're talking about Mark telling this story, and Mark is saying a great crowd. And I got to believe that if Mark is saying a great crowd, obviously, we've already got the disciples, so you've got a dozen guys and whoever might be kind of hanging out with them. And then, on top of that, a great crowd. So Jesus' name is getting to be well-known, and people are starting to follow. 
and people are starting to you know be interested in what's going on so so quickly he's he's had a he's had a following grow and into something that you know where they're following him around so here they come they've come through Jericho now they're coming out of Jericho and they're leaving Jericho they're 18 miles they're 18 miles from Jerusalem and i don't know about you but if i'm Jesus in this moment and I'm thinking about, you know, we're in this city, but we're coming out of this city, and we're headed to Jerusalem. It's kind of like this march to death, if you will. You ever had to have a conversation with somebody that you just didn't want to have? You, you, do you remember what that felt like, like leading up to that? Do you, you know, like your stomach's turning and, you know, and all this kind of, but you know you know you got to do it or whatever it is. Maybe it's with your boss. Maybe it's a loved, a loved one or something. Maybe it's somebody, you know, it's done you wrong. You know, you just, you got to face, you know, something that you don't want to face. You, know, you remember what that's like? Jesus, in this moment, is facing his suffering and he's facing his death. And in this moment, here's a guy blind on the side of the road it's calling out to him. And, and I, I don't know about you, but sometimes in, in those kinds of moments, like all I want to do is just like get the bad thing over with or whatever it is, and like, or man, you know, truthfully, want to run the other way, like let's go to another country or something now. You know, let's just let's just get out of here. I mean, that, you know, that's where our head goes, right? Bartimaeus being the only person that Jesus ever healed to be named in the book of Mark. We don't have anybody else that Jesus healed where Mark uses their name except Bartimaeus. Mark is wanting us to pay closer attention to Bartimaeus. When he heard it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And check out what the crowd does around him. Verse 48, And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Son of David, have mercy on me. Let me talk about that for just a second. You know, Bartimaeus could have yelled a lot of things. Bartimaeus could have yelled, Hey, Jesus, over here, I need to be healed. Hey, um, great prophet, great teacher over here. I, I need your help. Bartimaeus yells, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Do you understand what the implications of this naming of Jesus is? First of all, let me say this. This is the only time in the book of Mark that anyone calls Jesus the son of David. Jesus himself refers to himself as the son of David, but no other person in the book of Mark refers to Jesus as the son of David. Bartimaeus says, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. You see, when, when Bartimaeus is saying, Jesus, son of David, he's recognizing something about who Jesus is. He's recognizing that Jesus is from the lineage 
all the way down back from David, from the Old Testament, that Jesus is this son that was told that was going to come from way back when that would be the Messiah, who wouldn't just be the son of David, but he would be the Lord of David. This is big stuff. Like I, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to step out on a limb here for just a real quick second. I'm going to say... May not be completely true, but I'm going to go with it. I think it is. I'm going to say that it's very possible. How about we put it that way? It's very possible that Bartimaeus had a better understanding that we can see of from this one statement of who Jesus was, maybe even more than Jesus' own disciples. Like they, yeah, they got, they, they believed in him to be a Messiah the Messiah, but they're still thinking about like this political Messiah. I mean, let's just face it. They're, you know, their understanding of that's not, you know, quite the same. And they've seen Jesus do a lot of great things. And they, you know, obviously they believe that he's the chosen one and he's sent and all this kind of stuff. But Bartimaeus says a couple of things in this passage as we continue to go. First being, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And he's saying, Jesus, I believe in you to be the Messiah. He's saying, Messiah, sent one from God, have mercy on me. Please, please come to me. (laughs) And there's the crowd rebuking Bartimaeus. Dude, Be quiet. Stop it. Jesus is busy. He's got too much going on for you. We're going to Jerusalem for something, a party or something. We don't even know why, you know? The truth is, is that some of them probably did have an understanding of what it meant when Bartimaeus said, son of David, and him shouting that in the crowds may have actually even made some of them nervous. That, they, that some of them might have actually been nervous that, that officials around might have heard that somebody was calling Jesus the Messiah to alert them that they might try to come after him. Verse 48, And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped, verse 49. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. Call him. I love these passages where Jesus like uses like two words to like just change the whole thing, you know? And sure enough, like what, what happens right after this? Like we've gone from a crowd who's like telling this guy to be quiet to it says, And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he is calling you. That's a whole that's a whole different outlook. Like the crowd, I mean, changed like that, you know? I mean, just like boom. It was like completely different with them. They went from like, would you be quiet? to, oh my gosh, dude, guess what? Guess what? Good news. Get up. He's calling you. Come. Get over here. Get over here to him. And what happens? It says in verse 50, and throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. Throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and he came to Jesus. Think about the cloak thing for just a minute. 
this is kind of interesting because, you know, <clears throat> as a, uh, especially a blind beggar, uh, I'm going to say he probably didn't have a whole lot of belongings with him. He didn't have a whole lot of stuff. He wasn't, you know, carrying a lot with him. Uh, by the way, also, I think worth noting is that Jericho, not a cold place, okay? So, like, the cloak wasn't like, you know, he's keeping this on to keep him warm. No, I'm going to go out and say that the cloak was probably something he was sitting on, probably something he was even keeping his change on, in which people were tossing to him as they came by. Either way, he would have grasped it, he would have held on to it in some way, shape, or form that people wouldn't have stolen it from him while he's there with it, especially if it had his money in it. And what's he do with it? Verse 50 says, And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up, and he came to Jesus. Throwing off his cloak, he sprang up, and he came to Jesus. Him throwing that thing off was a big deal. Possibly the equivalent of him throwing down the very thing in which he entrusted to be the thing that would provide for him. Money in it, whatever, he throws it down and he, and he keeps on, he takes off for Jesus. I mean, this is, this is an incredible thing. I mean, think about this as a blind person, just in general. You know, in a situation like that, you wouldn't throw down anything that is your belonging that you're trying to keep up with because... How are you going to go find it again? You know, how are you going to know that somebody's not going to steal it while you walk away from it? More than likely, somebody would steal it while you're walking away from it, especially if all these other people that are out there doing the same thing are all sitting there, and they, they see or know that that's sitting there. Oh, yeah, no, that's gone. But Bartimaeus throws it down, takes off to Jesus. And in verse 51, it says, And Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? Does this sound familiar? Does that, sound, does that question sound familiar? What do you want me to do for you, Jesus asks him. You remember that question? That question had just been used not that long ago. I'm trying to think of who, who was that. Oh, wait a second. James and John. When James and John went to Jesus and said to Jesus, hey man, we got a question for you. Jesus looks at them and he says, what do you want me to do for you? And that's when, they, of course, they were like, well, we've been thinking. We think you should put us at the right hand and the left hand of you in your glory kind of thing. You know, basically, they want status. They want to be co-leaders. They want to be co-rulers with Jesus. They see Jesus as a meal ticket, and they're going to make sure that they don't miss the ride. What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. Now, one of the things that I think is important to understand, and I, I don't have a whole lot of time to go into all the historical background behind this, but generally speaking, when people 
were looking for God to heal them in some sort of an ailment like this, it wasn't, it wasn't that they thought they were only being healed of the ailment. It wasn't that they thought they were only being healed of, of a sickness or you know, a condition or something like that, but that they also believed they were also being healed spiritually. So it was kind of like a one-two punch kind of thing. Like they really believed that you know, when, when God healed you, you know, it, was a, it was a both and kind of deal. And so when Bartimaeus is saying this, I want to say, I really don't, I really believe with all my heart, he's not just looking for eyesight, although he talks about that specifically. He knows that what comes with that is something much greater. And it says, and the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. Let me recover my sight. Well, let me kind of share something with you without trailing too far off a track here. I don't think that the ESV quite has this translated correctly. If you go look at NASB, uh, the, the, other, the one that uh, Lifeway just did, I can't remember that, CESB or something, uh, uh, several others that I entrust, uh, to have really good translations. And, and normally speaking, like if you've been around 24 for very long, you know I teach from the ESV all the time. Uh, but in studying on this, I'm, I'm fairly certain that here's where we've got a hiccup, that I don't think that Bartimaeus said rabbi. From, the other, some, from some of the other translations, we understand that Bartimaeus said rabbani, okay? Rabbani. And you were like, okay. What's the difference in that? Okay, let's, let's talk about Rabbani for just a minute. So uh, first of all, before we even get into that, uh, Jesus, you know, was considered to be this great prophet, this great teacher. So it, it wasn't abnormal for people to call him prophet or teacher or rabbi. And rabbi kind of went with those things, you know, so that was kind of like a normal thing. Rabbani is a whole different level. The only time that we actually see someone else in the book of Mark called Jesus Rabbani is when Mary Magdalene bumps into Jesus unexpectedly at the resurrection. So, I mean, think about that, okay? Think about that for just a minute. Think about, like, Mary Magdalene, you know? Like, you got one emotional lady who's on, like, I mean, she just lost, like, this guy that she loves dearly and all this kind of stuff. I mean, like, and three days later, she's visiting the grave and she runs into him because he is back from the dead, okay? And she looks at him and she says, Rabbani. Why does she say Rabbani? This is why. Rabbani means Lord, master. Bartimaeus, without a doubt, without a doubt, Bartimaeus understood and believed in Jesus to be Lord. He believed in him to be master. And, and, and honestly, like, <laughs> how, how perfect is this? Like, don't think for a second that Jesus isn't using this as a teachable moment for the disciples and honestly for you and me. That we would understand something about following Jesus that that. He's not just some political thing. He's not just some ATM machine. He's the Lord. He's the Lord. Bartimaeus says to him, Rabbi, 
let me recover my sight. He's making a statement to Jesus in that moment that most hardly anyone else, well, nobody else had actually used that term even as of yet, but he's making in that statement, he's saying, I believe in you. And everything that leads up to this, you know, it, it built, you know I think builds to this for us to see Bartimaeus, he's not just like having half faith here at this moment. You know, you know how like sometimes in our walk, the Lord, how like we kind of got like, you know, like, oh yeah, you know, I believe, I believe in God, you know, it's all, and I, you know, he's cool and I'm good with, I'm good with the Lord and everything. But no, no, no. Like Bartimaeus is like all in, all in. That's where Bartimaeus is at. He's throwing his cloak off. David, a son of David, have mercy on me. Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, and you know Jesus can see his faith, right? Jesus says to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And he's looking at him, he's saying, dude, you get it. You get it. Like, I just, I got to believe that, like, in that moment that, like, I, I just want to imagine, like, Jesus just, like, jumping up and down, like, oh, he got it. And he's, like, going, like, full-blown, like, you know, pro wrestler, like, on his disciples and, like, do you see this guy over here? He's getting it over here, you know. Where are you guys, you know, kind of thing. I mean, Jesus had to be so jacked up about this. He says, Go your way, your faith has made you well. Go your way, your faith has made you well. Let me ask you a question. What's your faith doing for you today? You putting your faith in something else? Are you putting your faith in a paycheck? Are you putting your faith in having a job, a position, a relationship, a certain house in a certain neighborhood? Uh, I don't care, name your flavor. Having a kid, what is it? What are you putting your faith in? Don't make Jesus go pro wrestler on you, right? It doesn't have to be like that. He tells him, he says, go your way, go your way. And you would think, I would think Bartimaeus, guy that just recovered his sight, you know, that, he, that he's going to jump, leap for joy, run through the village, go see all of his old friends. Like, I can see you again. Oh, you've gained a lot of weight, you know, and that kind of stuff, you know. Or, you know, maybe he's going to be like, I gained my sight. What are you going to do now, Bartimaeus? I'm going to Disney World. Bartimaeus, go your own way, buddy. Your faith has made you healed. And what's he do? And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. And followed him on the way. Bartimaeus doesn't leave. Bartimaeus, Bartimaeus doesn't leave. He doesn't go back to his cloak. He doesn't go back to his spot on the bridge. He doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't go see his old friends. He goes with Jesus. He literally in that moment, becomes a disciple and follows Jesus. And he's off to Jerusalem. And Bartimaeus, Lord only knows what all he got to see in the days moving forward. As one of the few 
that like really got it, really understood, and really believed in Jesus to be the Lord, and that Jesus had come to like do so much more than do some political stuff, that Jesus had come not just to heal people of their ailments, to heal them spiritually from their sin. And honestly, that's what Jesus did every time he healed anybody in Scripture. It was always, it was always to point people to the fact that not, not that he could just like heal somebody, bring somebody back from the dead or whatever. It was always so that they would understand and the people around would understand that he was the ultimate healer and he had come to save them from themselves, to save them from their sin. Just another guy that Jesus healed. Let's just skirt over that one. We'll just keep going, right? That's probably what I've done with this passage in the past, just to be honest with you. And God has so much for us that he wants us to see through a passage like that, through a story like that, which is why Mark penned all of those details for us to have today. Uh, by the way, the other time that we see Jesus heal a blind man in the book of Mark is right before Jesus tells for the first time that he's going to die and that he's going to rise from the dead. So the three times that Jesus shares what's going to happen, what's coming up, and I think at that point he was just sharing that he was going to die, but again, big news for his disciples who've been following him for a while, and they're like, you know, oh, you're going to be the king. This is going to be awesome. And then he starts talking about he's going to die? What? The first time Jesus heals a blind man was right before the first time that he told that to the disciples, the first time. And then he tells it two more times that he's going to die. And finally, he gives more understanding that he's going to die, and then, and then he's going to rebuild the temple. They're still trying to figure all this out of what that really means. But then, like bookends, Jesus runs into this guy. Oh, it's just happen chance. He just runs into this guy. You know, probably didn't mean, you know. I mean, the whole time, Jesus is trying to help his disciples by saying, can you see? Like, you have eyesight, but can you see? Can you see what this is really about? Can you see why I've really come? Can you see what this is for? It's, it's for us to, verse 45, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That we would serve others, one another, all the people. That we would be willing to sacrifice. As Christ has given us an example of sacrifice, that we wouldn't be afraid of sacrificing too. What's that mean? Different for everybody. I don't know, what's he calling you to in sacrifice? What are you clinging to? What's your cloak today? What's the thing that you won't throw away? What's the thing that you won't throw down because you're so afraid if you let go of it, then everything in this world is going to come crashing down. But you know what? At some point along the way, it's not just us yelling at Jesus and saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. But at some point along the way, Jesus is looking at us and he's saying, come here, come here. And he calls to us, whether it be through a crowd or through a prayer or through his word, 
He calls to us and He leads us and He shows us that we too, like the crowd that are here surrounding Jesus, can go from one minute saying, be quiet, you're, you're, you're too noisy, I, I need you out of my life right now, to going, oh, wait a second, God put those people in my life and I'm supposed to try to bring them to the Lord. And how do we do that? Uh, maybe we just start with serving them. Maybe we just start with loving them. Maybe we just start with caring. The blind man saw his need, yet the disciples couldn't. The disciples couldn't. They couldn't see their need. They really thought their need was like <laughs> some kind of place of honor, some kind of status, some kind of, you know, I'm sure the riches and the wealth and the food and the People feeding you the grapes. I mean, come on, right? But it's the blind man, the guy that can't see, that sees. And in the middle of Jesus on his way to Jerusalem, he stops. You know those moments where you're on your way to do something that you just really don't want to do? You know, that conversation I talked about earlier? You know, like, I don't know. Maybe you're afraid you're going to get fired. Maybe you're afraid that uh, you've got a court date. Maybe you're afraid of what's going to happen in court. Maybe you were uh, texting in a school zone without your seatbelt on. And uh, are the cops here? What's going on? Uh, <laughs> got the blue lights going. Boy, that was timing times well right there. Uh, <laughs> did that on purpose. I know what, you, know what you're doing now. Uh, you know, yeah, maybe, maybe you're texting in the school zone. Maybe you weren't wearing your seatbelt. Maybe you get pulled over. Maybe you're going a little too fast. I don't know. I'm not sure about anything like that. Um, or maybe you got that ticket, and then you read the date on it wrong, and by the time you realized what the right date was, it was like two weeks after and then you realize that, like, by that point, they've put a warrant out for your arrest. Not that I would know anything about that. Um, and then when you go down to the courthouse, like, you're talking to these people, and they're trying to help you, but they're also trying to decide if they're supposed to have you arrested or not. Not that I would know anything about that. You know, we all have those moments in life, right? We all have those moments where we're wondering... What's next? What's going to happen? Jesus knew what was going to happen. He knew what was going to happen. And yet he still stopped. He still stopped. Let me tell you something. If you, if you don't think that Jesus wouldn't stop for this guy on the way to his death, if you don't think that he wouldn't do it for him, don't think for a second that he won't do it for you. Jesus heard his cries, and he hears ours too. 
Are you hurting? Are you helpless? You see, Jesus wants to do something in us. He wants to do a work in us. I read an article this week. It's talking about the declining church. Keep seeing all these articles. I very rarely read any of them, to be honest. I read this one this week. It was talking about the declining church of America. and um, Obviously, we're, we're not declining right now. That, praise God for that. Um, but uh, my heart breaks to read or hear about any church that is pointing people to Jesus that might be. And as I was reading this article, one of the things that they got to talking about, and they were talking about, I don't know if this is all, you know, everybody thinks they've got the answer. Uh, they're talking about the seeker church of the 80s and the 90s and how it was so like mamby-pamby, pat you on the back and not really like preach the gospel and, you know, all these things. And I, and I do think there's probably something to this. They were talking about how there's a huge decline in a lot of those churches. And um, uh, I think all of them, except for the prosperity gospel ones, it seems like, uh, because they're leading people into believing that if you give your money and all this, then you'll get rich and all this other whatnot, which is a bunch of baloney. Um, but needless to say, that that model of a church, that secret church model, led a lot of people into a faith that was about only bring your friends to church. Like, no, no confrontation, just invite them to church. Like, get, get people to come with you to church. Because if you can get people to come to church, then the professionals can take over and do their thing. And, and let me just tell you what. Obviously, we love for people to bring, definitely bring people to church. Absolutely bring people to church. But please, for the love, don't think for a second that we are not all ministers of the gospel. We've all got a part to play in the lives of the people around us. And they're there for a purpose, and you are there for a purpose. And I'm here for a purpose too. May we be faithful to what that is. Jesus would rather we cry out for mercy than pretend that we have it all together. This was the last time that Jesus would go through Jericho. Last time. And here's Bartimaeus in what we assume might be his hometown, hanging out in Jericho. And he could have just sat there, but instead he cried out. Instead he cried out. What if he hadn't cried out that day? What if he hadn't cried out that day? Jesus was facing suffering and death, and yet he still stopped. Don't you think that he cares for as much for you and I today as he did for Bartimaeus? Don't you think that he would love for you to call out to him? Maybe you've never called out to Jesus. Maybe you've never put your faith in the one and only that can get us into the family of God. You see, Jesus came to die to be the ransom for many that anyone who would believe in him would have this understanding, that's this, that our sin separates us from God, but the punishment that is needed for that sin, that punishment was taken by him on the cross, that if we believe in him, he paid our ransom. We're free. We're free 
and we have life in Christ. Not just life, but new life. Why take the chance that there will be another day? Why not cry out now? He loves you, cares for you, came to save you. I encourage you to believe. James and John, though physically seen, were spiritually blind. Bartimaeus, though physically blind, was spiritually seen. Do you see it? Is it your sin that's keeping you from him? Is it something that you hold on to tight like a cloak that you don't want to let go of in this world that you can't seem to shake? Maybe you need to shout out over the crowd. Jesus will stop and he will listen. Don't be afraid to call out. Will he see your faith or will he see your doubt? What do you see? Let's pray together. God, thank you for your word. God, I pray that it would continue to penetrate our hearts and that it would guide us in this life to follow you. God, I pray right now for anyone that hasn't trusted in you, that listens to this, that hears this. God, I pray that, Lord, that they would trust in you today that they would put their faith in you, that they would believe in you, that they wouldn't have half a faith, but God, that we as a people all together, that we would be like Bartimaeus and that we would put all of our faith into what you are calling us to do and who you are. God, we believe in you to be who you say you are, to do what you've done. God, thank you. Thank you for your death on the cross. Thank you for allowing us to know you and to be a part of your family. Lord, this morning, save the lost, be glorified in the saved. We ask this in your name. Amen.